So good. I want to go ahead and dismiss our kids for Children's Church. You guys can go ahead and have a great time. It's good to be in this Advent season, and the kids will be uh, studying and learning the same things that we're spending time with uh, in here during Advent as well. And so I'm really excited about that. It's good to see you. I hope that you have had a great uh, Thanksgiving. I think Aaron made all the turkey jokes, so uh, I don't have any left. Uh, It's great to move into this season of Advent together. Thanks to all of you who came last uh, Sunday night and helped prepare this space for Advent worship. And uh, we had a wonderful time together doing it. And... uh, and it's great to be able to enjoy it together this morning. And we are in for quite a ride this Advent season. It's, it's that, it's that uh, tension between hurry up and rest. There's just hurry all around us. And yet, this is the season where, as Michelle reminded us at the beginning of our gathering, when we want to know what it feels like to anticipate and to wait and to long for, in our hearts and in our lives, the presence of Jesus. So, uh, let's work on that. We'll work on that balance together. Um, It's great to see you. It's the season for a lot of things. Tis the season blank. You add in what you are thinking about perhaps this morning. But the one that was on my mind uh, this week and this morning is that it's the season for setting goals. And uh, some of you, when I say, you know, when I speak of setting goals, the first thing that you think of, because this was my first reaction, was, let's see, what were those goals that I set back in January, and I have one month left to accomplish them, so let's see if I can do it. And uh, actually, Kyle and I set the goal uh, last year to read, I, we weren't messing around, we were going to read all of C.S. Lewis's writings. I mean, we're just going to go for it. Um... Didn't make it. Didn't make it. Uh, just be bluntly honest with you. Um, I, I think I read two. So I've got a ways to go, and I'm not going to get it done in December. But uh, we already had the conversation about it. We're just going to extend that into 2015 as well. That's one way of, of reaching your goals. You just keep extending them, right? Um, but, but maybe some of you, had, you know, set some goals to eat two Thanksgiving meals in one day. Um, maybe some of you are actually thinking, you know, you've set a goal now to shed a few pounds after the multiple Thanksgiving meals that you had. And uh, as you prepare for Christmas, we've got to shed a few so we can get ready to put a few back on. That's usually how it works during this season. Others of you maybe, though, have more lofty goals, whether it be personal at this time of the year, spiritual even, Maybe in your schoolwork, students who are wanting to finish at least this part of the the school year well before Christmas vacation, Um, financial goals, uh, relationship goals. This week, since our family was going to be in town on Thanksgiving, uh, which we usually go to visit my parents, but they weren't at their home, so we stayed here, Um, my son, Thomas, and I set a goal for ourselves. We decided to run a 5K down at the beach. And I think it's maybe all this uh, study in the book of Hebrews, all this running the race that has just got me motivated. Or maybe it's just having Paige nearby. (laughs) Just like, yeah, 
feeling the running coming through here to us. So we decided to run this 5K, and um, 5K, 3.1 miles or so. And I, I believe, well, I know that I had, and I think Thomas had run that long before. He's 11 years old, for those of you who are wondering. And, um, but we had never run an official race before, an official 5K. So we weren't quite sure what this was going to be like. Um, we both felt like we were in fairly good condition, so we thought we could make it. But we really had no idea how fast we should go. So the night before, I, I got online, and I tried to figure out how I should have trained for this 5K. <laughs> and there were different training um, programs that, that I could have participated in. Um, one of them I, I found was if you want to run the 5K in under 30 minutes, this is the about a 10-minute mile or so. This is the regimen about eight weeks long that you should follow if you want to run it in 30 minutes or less. And I thought, ah, yeah, we can do that. So there's another one, 25 minutes or less. And I began to read about that one. I thought, well, that might be a little too aggressive. So I, in my mind, I was thinking, well, this will be just a little goal that we'll have in the back of my mind. I won't even tell Thomas about it. But just minutes before the starting of the race, I looked at Thomas and I said, hey, man, if you can make it, just let me know. But if, you, if you're having trouble, let me know. But if you can make it, we'll shoot for a 30-minute 5K. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, that sounds great. Let's, let's give it a shot. So we took off. And if you've ever run in a race before, you know, as I did not necessarily know, that the first mile or so, you're completely running on adrenaline and the flow of all the people around you. I mean, if you slow down, you will get trampled. And so you just have to go. I mean, you just have to move at the pace of whatever the people are moving around you. And I looked down about a mile into the run, and I realized we were running about an eight-mile-an-hour clip. That makes sense, yeah. Um, so we were, we were moving, is that the right math? Eight-minute mile, thank you. An eight-minute mile clip. And so that... Uh, that was faster than I anticipated, but I was like, I think we're doing all right. So I'm talking to Thomas. I'm like, you okay, buddy? Keep it up. Don't go too fast. Watch out for that big guy. Um, you're doing fine. We're going to make it. We get to the halfway point. I realize we're still at, at right at that eight-minute clip, and I think, all right, we got, do we have it in us to keep this going on the way back? And so we turn around, and we see people in front of us, and I'm like, I think we can catch them. Let's go. And he keeps going, and we keep going until we get to the almost 100 yards left, and we're running side by side, and we're just about at that clip, and I see a younger kid out in front of Thomas, and I'm thinking, if he passes him, he might be able to win his age group. Go, Thomas, go, go. You can get him. And he did. He had it left in his tank, and Thomas just took off running as fast as he could, left me in the dirt. <laughs> dust, I think is the right phrase. Left me in the dust. And, and passed that other kid and finished at 25 minutes and 8 seconds. And I came in just a little while after that. And um, I was pretty impressed. I kept expecting Thomas to slow down and myself as well. But we just kept going and we, we achieved our goal. We made the 30-minute... Uh, 5K and came really close to breaking the 
25 minute 5K. And I know though that in the hours and days since we raced that Thomas's main goal was also accomplished that he beat his dad in the 5K. And I have to say, I think that that may be the first time that he's legitimately beaten me in an athletic event. Sometimes I've, you know, let him win, but, but you know, you know what I'm talking about, let him win. But it's all downhill for me from here on out. I think he's going to be beating me over and over. Well, goals. Tis the season for setting goals. Last week, Danny reminded us when we were finishing up Hebrews that Scripture, like readers and dieters and runners, Scripture also has goals with us. God's Word has intentions in mind for us. Its goals are to inform us, yes, to teach us truths about God and His relationship with people. Scripture wants to do that. It wants to enlighten us and open our minds to truths about who God is. Another goal of Scripture is undoubtedly to inspire us, to put a charge into us as we read Scripture, to to inspire us, to motivate us, to live in a relationship with God and to respond to His love with grace and obedience. The Word of God wants to do this in us. It's It's a goal of Scriptures. Ultimately, we could say perhaps that the The overarching goal of Scripture is to change us, to transform us, and to uh, make us into new people as we encounter the living Word within the written Word. This uh, season, this season of Advent, we are embarking together on on a journey through a particular portion of Scripture, a book of the Bible that has very definite goals for its readers. And it took him several chapters all the way till chapter 20 to actually do this, but in chapter 20 of his gospel, the writer John actually declares and announces what the goal is of his gospel. He announces at the end, which is a little bit strange, you would think he would have done it at the beginning, but at the end he says, this is my goal. In everything that I have just written, and I wanted us to look at it as we tear into the book of John beginning here this morning. This is from John 20, verse 31. And here it comes. Read it with me, would you? But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of his name. John is declaring here to readers everywhere and in all times that the purpose of his writing, the reason for his recounting these stories and these signs, these miracles, these teachings from the life of Jesus, is that so people might believe and go on believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited and expected King of Israel who would come to set His people free. That They would believe that this is who Jesus is and that He is the Son of God, God Himself in the flesh. And not only all of this, but also that they would believe that by believing in him that they could have 
life. Now, this is a BHAG. Some of you have read Good to Great. BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. That's what that stands for, and we're instructed to set those in lots of areas of life. But this is a BHAG, a big, old, hairy, audacious goal that Scripture has for us. That by reading these words, that by attending to this book of Scripture, that we would believe, that we would be convinced that Jesus really is the Messiah. That he's the one all of history has been pointing towards. That Jesus really is the Son of God. That he is God himself in the flesh with us. And that by believing these things, we would have life. This is John's goal for us. And so over the next Several months, we'll be reading and studying and learning from the Gospel of John about these things that are written. And my hope is that indeed those of us, perhaps and those who will come along on the journey who don't yet believe, will begin to believe and find new life in Jesus. And that those of us who do believe will be strengthened in our believing And that we will continue to believe this ongoing, repetitious work of believing throughout all of time. So our series simply is titled Messiah, as you can see. Messiah, not Handel's Messiah. This is probably where we hear the word the most frequently in our in our context anyway. Maybe some of you will go to see this musical performance in the holiday season. But we're talking about Jesus the Messiah, and in particular John's portrait or picture of the Messiah in his gospel. Literally, Messiah means the anointed one. This In Greek, it's Christos, which has been translated Christ. So Jesus Christ wasn't necessarily a proper name for Jesus to begin with. It was a title, Jesus the Christ, or Jesus the Messiah. The one who fulfills, again, all of God's promises to his people. The one to whom all of Scripture, all the Old Testament, all the Hebrew Scripture has been pointing. The one who will, has, as has been believed, had been believed for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. The one who would come and rescue God's people, if not in the way that they were expecting. Messiah. And when better to begin this journey, this, uh, this, this journey to belief than during the Advent season? And where else to begin than at the origins, at the beginnings in the Gospel of John? So if you have your Bible, turn with me. John chapter 1. If not, you can follow along on the screen. We're going to read what's known as the prologue. Some people, one, one commentator said, if the Gospel of John is the pearl of the Gospels, then the prologue is the pearl of John. Let's stand while I read. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. Reading again from the NLT, which may catch some of you off guard who are, have memorized these words in other translations. Soak in these words. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. And nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. And His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God But the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, one of the things that we want to do in Advent, particularly this year, is to hear stories. Uh, And as I've been reading through, especially the opening chapters of the Gospel of John, but really through the entire Gospel of John, we hear stories, testimonies from folks, and we want to hear some stories uh, in these weeks from people within our own church family about their life of faith. And particularly, I'm I'm asking, I've asked several to share um, over these weeks about how they came to know Christ, how they came to be in relationship with Jesus, how the light of Christ shined into their lives and how God is at work in their lives today. I want us to see some of the different ways that the light of Christ is shining. So I invited Sean Huddleston, Sean coming up here, to uh, come and share a little bit of his story today. Um, And believe me, this is just going to be a little bit of his story. There's more to it. Uh, When I first met Sean, I saw this. (laughs) And Sean... Uh, one of the first things he talked to me about, um, and he'll, talk to, he'll say a little bit more about this, I think, but he was leading a Bible study in the home, uh, recovery home where he was, that he was running. And he said to me, you know, um, James, I, uh, I, I have a question. We're, we're working on some, some uh, theological issues uh, with this group, and and I'm trying to decide. Do you remember what it was? Once saved, always saved. Yes, yes. So I'm trying to decide on these theological issues. And I looked at him and I said, this isn't computing. 
but let's have some conversation. And we have had great conversations over the years. So thankful for this guy. Sean, let me give you that. Um, let's talk a little bit about your life of faith. So three, three basic questions in any testimony. What was your life, life like before you knew Christ? How did you come to know Christ? And what's it been like since? So let's begin with the first, Sean. What, before you came to know Christ, just give us a snapshot, give us a glimpse into your life. Well, without getting into any hairy details, I would say that um, I was the friend that everybody said was going to die or be in prison first. I used excessively. I lived in gang life. I sold. Um, so... You know, I was basically a soldier for the other side. I did everything bad. Um, whenever I got clean and sober, I looked back and I saw myself as just a parasite on the world. That's all I did. Um, yeah, just that in a nutshell. Um, I, was, I was the epitome of, of bad. I did everything opposite of what I do today. Tell me a little bit about what was going on here and then your move back to Alabama and what yeah. was entailed and all that. I was in, uh, I was shuffling around in gang life, of course, selling drugs. Um, my, uh, the two guys I was working with got arrested and the police were watching me, so I was next. So I packed up and moved to Alabama to get away from it, where I was able to get away from the drugs and alcohol, uh, or the drugs. There was plenty of alcohol, but um, so I stopped using the hardcore drugs, and I just was a heavy drinker for a while. Um, but in that time, right as I was moving to Alabama, my dad got saved, and my dad started praying for me. And uh, believe it, whenever you guys are praying for that loved one you think is hopeless, yeah, I was that homeless, hopeless uh, loved one. So please keep praying for him because the day will come. You don't know when, but you, the day will come. Mm. So um, when I moved back to Al from Alabama, one of the contingencies my dad helped me get in a place was that I came to church with him. So I just started, I started going to church, but as I was going to church, I also met back up with that buddy that went to prison. He just got out. And so he went back to making, I went back to selling. And so I had a pocket full of dope every week at church. Talk to me about what ultimately happened as you kept coming to church, even with a pocket full of dope. I was, uh, I was sitting right beside my dad. It just doesn't sound the same coming out of my mouth, does no. it? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, uh, Go ahead. I, um, I was sitting beside my dad and, you know, full intention of getting out of there as quickly as possible because, again, I had a pocket full of drugs I needed to get back to. And... Um, it was uh, Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara. Ricky Ryan did his uh, periodical um, altar call. And the next thing I knew, I was moving up the middle aisle. My feet weren't supposed to be moving. I, I didn't even know how I really got up, but I went and answered that altar call. Um, when I did, sorry, I get a little emotional about it. When I did, everything that I did as a functioning, so-called functioning, addict, everything just went flip-flop. Life went upside down. Um, loved ones got together and attempted 
<laughs> seriously attempted a intervention, which as soon as I saw a group full of people, I just turned out the room and went up into the mountains. Hung out in the mountains for a few days, trying to get rid of my what I had left because I didn't want them to take it. And uh, uh, God spoke to me and told me to come home. I went home. I was trying to figure out what to do. Um, went over to my side yard, and being a drug addict, you don't keep things clean. I had two dogs, so there wasn't much dirt left. There was just piles of stuff. And I went to that side yard, and I kneeled down right there, and I prayed for the obsession to be lifted. And that was 12 years ago, April. Oh, it is very possible. But the thing, the thing that I was doing that entire time in my life was trying to fill that hole that only God could fill. The, the group gang life, the, the drugs, the everything, is no matter how much you do, no matter how much I did, it never filled that hole. Sean, go ahead then and, and talk to us a little bit about how your life has been different since Jesus shined his light on you. Well, you remember I said earlier that I felt like I was the parasite before. Um, I really did. I, I saw myself for who I was. And um, I was at a, at a uh, home group Bible study, and for anybody who knows Jim Stretchberry, a uh, big uh, help in my, in my recovery and my walk with the Lord. I was at his uh, home group, and he said, okay, when you guys get home, I want you to seriously pray, what does God want you to do? Not, not what do you think you should do, but what does God want you to do with your life for him? And uh, I prayed, and it was pretty obvious. You know, it, it was plain as day. God said, you need to get back and help the people where you came from. I remember I went back to my dad. I was all excited. I said, I know what I need to do. I need to get out on the streets. I need to go find my friends. I need to start telling them about Jesus. And he's like, well, wait a second. Mm-hmm. So you've only, you only been clean and sober less than a month. You've only been saved for a couple months. Why don't you just take it easy, stick around us for a while. So um, Doug Thomas, I don't know if you know him, he ended up being my mentor. And uh, I started helping him with real life. And then I started helping with the men's house. And then I started managing the men's house. And this was all where God wanted me to go. And it, was just, it just kind of flowed in that direction. I started helping with that. And then uh, Calvary Chapel decided to close the men's house. And so we took it over. We took over finances, everything. And uh, it lasted for about three to four years. Um, financially, it shouldn't have happened over a year. It was, uh, it was a negative all the time, but uh, God kept it open. And uh, just about the time it started winding down, that's when I joined in with the black sheet. And uh, just about that time, the, the men's house closed. But uh, cool thing was, I'm still in contact with those guys. I still work with them. I still spend a lot of time with them. Facebook, telephone, whatever, they still get a hold of me. Hey, I'm having a hard time with this or that. So... Um, I'm in the trenches where God wants me. I enjoy it. I want more. But uh, right now, I'm going through my book of Job. And so uh, I think he's kind of squelched all that for a little bit. Whenever I get through my trials, which, uh, thank God, I'm with him. Because if I wasn't, I'd be in the bottom of a bottle somewhere. Guaranteed. Awesome. Let's thank Sean, can we? Love you, man. Hello.
you, Sean. So good. So good. Sean's a new creation in Christ, and uh, we're thankful for that. The light of Christ still shines and is still transforming lives. The old is gone, the new has come, and we praise God for it. Well, if you have your passage, look at it for just a moment with me. The passage begins with a very familiar phrase to any biblical student. Um, In the beginning, John 1, this isn't Genesis, but in the beginning, in the beginning. And in any, no Bible reader would see that phrase and not think at once about Genesis. In the beginning, in Genesis, it says God created the heavens and the earth. And now it is as if God is saying, or if John is saying to us again, that God is creating still. God is creating in new ways. God is still at work, once again acting with love toward his creation. It's as if John is saying, what God began back in Genesis... In in that beginning, he's working itself out in a new beginning of his expression of love and life to his people. And so again, here in these opening verses, Jesus is the one that's referred to as the Word. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And and so, what is this Word? What, what What do we need to understand about what John is trying to say to us about Jesus as the Word. Well, I think we can say it in one phrase like this, that Jesus is the Word spoken to us from the Father. The Word spoken from the Father. In the Old Testament, um, God uh, frequently acted by means of a Word. Over and over in Old Testament Scripture, we hear, and the voice of the Lord says... God spoke. God spoke all creation into being. And from that point, God continued to speak and act in the world through his voice. Now, John says, God is acting again, speaking this word into history. The word who already existed was with God and, in fact, was God. And perhaps the best way, there's there's lots of ways that Scholars and theologians have tried to explain perhaps what was in John's mind when he spoke of Jesus as the Word, the the Logos. But the one that sticks perhaps best with me and perhaps would work best for us is to think of Jesus with that title as the audible expression of the very thoughts and the very heart of God. Here's God speaking to us himself. Here is God speaking to his creation in in a tangible person, a a tangible word from his mouth and from his heart. I don't know about you, but I long to know what people who are close to me are thinking about, what uh, what drives them, what's important to them. And we know uh, from my own family, I, I know how important it is to have conversation. I know from my relationship with my own wife, even after 21 years and a half of marriage, that I cannot read her mind, nor can she read mine. We have to have conversation. We have to have interaction. And we long also 
to know who God is and what God thinks and what God does. And this great God speaks to the human race most specifically and most specially in Jesus. His most personal word. God has spoken to us in the most human way possible by giving us Jesus. Giving us His innermost thoughts and heart. God Jesus truly is Emmanuel, that word that we hear and speak throughout the Advent season. He is God with us. We've been talking with our kids a little bit about literature genres, and uh, I'm not sure, again, I'm right up to my pay grade with that kind of vocabulary. I'm not sure I know what I'm talking about. But uh, different types of genres of reading, fiction, nonfiction, Fantasy, sci-fi, um, biography, autobiography, just some of these, uh, for example. And I think particular along these, the lines of biography and autobiography as we think about the Word of God, Jesus as the Word of God. A biography is the story of a life of a person told by another person. Right? Are you with me on this? You know your literary genres. An autobiography, on the other hand, is a person's self-explanation, self-interpretation. They're writing the story of their own lives. Jesus, the eternal Word of God in the flesh, is God's autobiography. This Word This person of God spoken so beautifully by God Himself in and through Jesus. This one who has created all things, sustains all things, all that He has created, now coming to give life even to us. This is good news for us, friends. This is monumental news for us. God has spoken decisively in Jesus. And He has said that He will come to us. He is the kind of God who comes to His people. That He desires to come and to give life just like He gave to Sean. Just like He's given to so many of us. That He desires, that He is the God, kind of God who desires to give us meaning and fullness in life. We are not left to our own devices here. This God who created still creates and still speaks in our hearts. And so John can use some other words to speak about this word as well. He can write that not only is Jesus the word, but he is the light shining in the darkness. He's the light shining in the darkness. The light that pushed back the darkness in creation, remember? God said, let there be light. Again, this light is pushing back darkness that is found within creation itself. God, once again, says in Jesus now, let there be light. It was, I don't know how many months ago now, a couple months ago, where um, some of the folks who live over in our neighborhood know what I'm talking about, but we lost power on two Saturday nights in a row. And... uh, if you're not aware, when your power goes out around 8 or 9 o'clock, that's not real convenient. And one time, the first Saturday night, it was a, uh, 
a branch, I believe, a palm branch that fell on the power lines and knocked it out all night long. And then the next week, it was a car that ran into the light pole or the power pole, knocked it over and, and just caused all sorts of damage. What I remember mostly, although we did go and watch the guys work on the power pole a little bit, that was pretty interesting. What I remember mostly is that it was dark. And, and we are so surrounded by light so much of the time, and we have easy access to screens and, you know, whatever kind of light is all around us. It's, it's always uh, ever-present before us. But in these moments, it was so dark. And as I think back on those days now, especially as I think about Jesus as the light of the world, I'm reminded of the symbolic nature of this darkness for the darkness that we experience in the world in which we live. The darkness that Jesus himself faced in and during his ministry and right to the end of his earthly life. This darkness that is constantly pushing and pressing against us. But John 1.5 has this wonderful promise for us. Let's read it together. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Just leave that up for a moment. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Interestingly, in the passage up till now, all of the verbs have been in the past tense. All the verbs, all the action has been something that happened in the past. Now, however, this light is said to to shine on. This light shines. It's a present tense and a present continuing sense of the verb in this case. This light is said to shine on. And so, again, as I've written on that next slide, one commentator has suggested that in order to capture the full force of the, the present tense that we should, if, if it just shines, maybe underline the S, that it shines. But in our case, it's even right in parentheses, still, even now, the light shines. The light of Christ shines. That present tense, make it as clear as possible. Why? Well, because we need to remember and be reminded that it shines. Though then it seemed when Jesus was facing all the darkness of the world around him, that, that, that he was being persecuted and executed and that darkness had won a decisive victory. It seemed so, at least. And that though now, too, by most outward indications all around us in our world, uh, it honestly seems to us that darkness is prevailing. We listen to this and we read this and we believe this, that it's shining still even now because despite all the appearances to the contrary, it will always be the deepest fact of history that in John's words, again, the light that shines on in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. It never will extinguish it, my friends. Still, even now, the light of Christ is shining. Light has won. But more even than that, light is winning. 
Let's be reminded of it. Let's believe it. Even now shining as it was in the first century, now in the 21st century, and it wins. The combination of forces, the combination of evil that was at work against the crucified Christ. The combination of evil that is bringing about darkness even in our own world will never extinguish did not and will never extinguish this light, the ever-shining light of the risen Christ. And it's as if John, again, wants us to know that Jesus is shining bright, the resurrected Lord, and even we as his church, we shine his light as well in a very dark world that's pressing in all around us. Jesus is the word. Jesus, the light. And lastly, Jesus is the life, Jesus the life for those who believe. Jesus the life for those who believe. Perhaps the most exciting thing about this prologue, this first 18 verses of John chapter 1, is, for some of us anyway, is that we're in it. I mean, all the good stuff about the Word and the light, and all these things. It's, it's wonderful, but the, the good news and really exciting thing for us is that it's not just an ethereal, uh, cosmic concept, but this is a reality that impacts each of us and invites us into the story as well. Look with me at verses 12 and 13. John writes this, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Amen. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. The life for those who believe. To anyone, he writes, who accepted him. That means anyone at all, then and now, John is clear to say that you don't have to belong to a certain family, a certain heritage. You don't have to come from a certain part of the world. God wants people from everywhere and in every time to be born in a new way. Given life, born into a new family, which he began through Jesus and which he is spreading throughout the world. And anyone, again, this is good news. Anyone can receive and be born as a child of God in this sense, a sense which goes beyond the fact that all humans are special in God's sight. We're all special, but we can be born into something new, a new relationship with God. Verse 12 says it, the the way to this, and it's simply these words, believe in his name. I want us just to think for a moment about what it means to believe. This... uh, Some commentators have said this is really the the theme of the Gospel of John, believing. And we'll see the word over and over. And it's never um, added to, there's there's never any descriptions of believing, it's just believing. Not like deep believing or extra special believing. John just always talks about the importance of believing. This is the invitation in this verse and throughout the Gospel. And it's not just an easy kind of believism or a mental kind of assent to these, these doctrines. 
but it's a belief that leads to new life. It's a belief that leads to transformation and to change. Because here's the reality. When God works in believers, when we believe in him, we give God an opening into our lives. We give God the opportunity to begin to work in us in new and fresh ways. When we say, I believe in you, Jesus, God begins to create something new in us. He produces fruit and discipleship and a desire to follow him. And so as one writer said it, in fact and in practice, simple believers never remain simply believers but are moved by the Holy Spirit, whom they receive in new birth, to keep and to want to keep Jesus' commands to do what he says. It is almost an unimaginable offer that simply by believing in his name, we could be given the right to be called children of God. And yet that is what this gospel affirms. No technique, no bloodline, not our extra effort, just God's gracious gift to us. This morning, we're going to close our service by receiving the Lord's Supper. And we're actually going to do this throughout the season of Advent in each of our worship services over the next four Sundays. And the invitation to you this morning as you come to receive the Lord's Supper is to, to, to consider his invitation, consider his offer of life, of light, of love, and to respond to it even in these moments. To allow, even as we celebrate the body and blood, the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, to allow our belief in him to be strengthened. And allow the goal of this scripture, really, to begin to have its way in our hearts and in our lives. I want to invite the worship team to come and the servers, actually, just here to the table. And I want to serve you first. And I just want to give each of you, as we began the service in a moment of silence, to just have a moment of quiet reflection right here. To think about Sean's story. To think about Jesus as... God's words spoken to you and what that says about this God. To think of Jesus and the light that he shines and the darkness that may be surrounding you now, but his light is helping to push that back. To think of the life that Jesus desires to give to you in this moment as you believe in him and in these days as we seek his face. So worship team and servers come and I'll serve you here. And then after they've been served, the worship team will come and and uh, lead us in a song. And Michelle and I will be standing here with the bread and the cup, and Danny and Aaron will stand here with the bread and the cup. And you're, just, you're invited to come down the center aisle and to um, take the bread, to dip it in the cup, and then to return down the side aisle to your seat. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you have spoken to us in the Word, the Messiah, the man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Thank you that you are creating anew. Thank you that 
light and life are still as present and a reality in our world today as they were in the days when Jesus walked the earth, perhaps even more so. Thank you, Father, for those today who need a reminder of your love and your grace and who can hear in this word spoken to them in Jesus of the depth of your love for them. Thank you, God, for those perhaps who today feel the darkness pressing in all around them. It seems like it will extinguish the light of Jesus in their hearts and lives at any moment, and yet to be reminded today that the light shines on, yet even now it shines, O oh God. Thank you, O oh Lord, that even those who are, are feeling the pressure of, of despair and discouragement all around them, who perhaps don't feel like they fit in or belong, can know that because of your gracious gift and not any effort of our own, we can know new life. We can be given the right to be called your children. And so, Jesus, even in these moments as we come to the table and as we receive these elements and remember your sacrifice for us, we say we... We believe, and we ask you to help our unbelief. Strengthen that in us, and as we believe in you more and more, may we know the life that you promise and that you give. We love you, and we give you thanks. So we remember on the night, Jesus, when you were betrayed, you took the bread, you broke it, pass it to your disciples, and you said, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way you took the cup, you said, this is my blood, the symbol of my, my, my blood the, the, for, for the forgiveness of sin. You passed it to them, and they drank. And you asked them, and you asked us, that as we do this, to remember you. And so with confidence, Lord Jesus, we draw near, we remember, and we believe.